Thanks. Thanks. So I used to be a math teacher, but now I'm a pastor. I just want to thank a couple people before I start, and I just want to thank my parents, first of all, and honor you guys for um, starting me on this journey and for your example of faith and following Jesus sacrificially. Just honor you guys, and I'm so thankful for you. And um, thanks for introducing me to Jesus. So I want to honor the rest of my family who's here and um, all the ways that you guys have supported me and encouraged me and been examples to me and prayed for me and cared for me. Just, I'm so grateful for you guys. And um, for some of my friends that are here, some of my former colleagues, uh, really thankful for you guys. You're a special part of my life. And many of you have mentored me, befriended me, and um, all of that has is, is brought me to this place and has helped shape who I am. And of course, Harbor family and other friends that have come, just so thankful for all of you and the ways that you have prayed for me and blessed me and supported me and fed me. And um, just so thankful for you guys. So thank you for uh, helping me to arrive here. And um, obviously not that I have somehow arrived at perfection, but arrived at this this role that, that I sense that the Lord has called me to. So... With that, let's just pray one more time. Lord, we, we most of all, we honor you. And we hold on to belief in you despite all that we see around us. And so we just ask now that you, Holy Spirit, would reveal the glory, the kindness, and the goodness of Jesus. And the love of our Father in heaven. Would you do that now again, like you've done it before? In Jesus' name, amen. We live in a broken world. Just this past week, we have been confronted again with tragedy, with pain, with violence, with sorrow. As terrorists planned and orchestrated an attack on the city of Paris. And at this point, 130 people have died. I went on the news last night and saw that just this past Friday, two days ago, there was a terrorist attack in the country of Mali. We found out after the fact, but a Russian jet was bombed uh, by ISIS over a month ago, and uh, 224 people were killed. The world is messed up. It's broken. It can often be violent. And this is not new news. It's been like this for a long time. 9-11. Vietnam War, World War II, World War I, Spanish Inquisition, the Crusades on the soil, uh, the conquistadors, and genocide in Rwanda. We live in a broken world. The question today, as we 
are at the end of this series on change is possible. We've been talking about personally. You know, can we actually change? Can we grow? Can we, can we get beyond some of these things that would seem to hold us down? Today we're broadening that a little bit and asking, is change possible in this broken, messed up world? Is there any hope that anything good could somehow happen in this world and the badness could be done away with? Well, this book has some things to say about that. And we're going to look at a book today that was written by Jesus' best friend, interestingly enough. This guy that wrote the book was one of the 12 disciples that Jesus chose. And inside of that 12, Jesus had a closer group of three that he kind of brought near to him and took on some exclusive excursions with Jesus. And of those three, this guy was the one that was uh, dared to call himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. So I posit that this guy was probably Jesus' best friend. And his name was John, beloved. And he wrote a little letter sometime, you know, a little, little less than 2,000 years ago called First John. I mean, that's probably not what he named it when he wrote it, but that's kind of what it's been called in the Bible. So if you have a Bible, why don't you turn to First John? We're going to look at chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen, and I'm going to be reading from the ESV. Okay, so we're going to start in verse 7. Beloved, those who are loved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. This is how God showed it. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God. God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. 
And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Is there any hope for this broken world? Is change in this world possible? John tells us that love is the answer. It's love that is the answer. If there's any one thing that you could read this passage and take away saying, what am I supposed to do about this after reading it? In other words, if this passage was, happened to be true, what would it be calling me to do? It's pretty simple. Love other people. Love one another. It says it four times, and it's the first thing, interestingly, that it says, and it's the last thing that it says. It's all bound up together in this passage. And the love that this passage is talking about is a courageous kind of love. You see, John was Jesus' best friend. So he's pretty familiar with what Jesus taught about love. Here's a few things you may have heard that Jesus said about it. The golden rule. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. In other words, everything that the Bible and the Old Testament has said, this sums it up. Do unto others as you have them do unto you. Jesus went even further than that. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus repeats it in another place. There's the classic wedding passage. And if you've been to a wedding and heard this read, love is patient. And kind, love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends or never fails. This is the kind of love that Jesus' best friend is asking us, telling us to give to one another. I had a friend uh, years ago who went through a rather difficult experience with his family. His wife, he was living in New England, and as you know, New England homes have many times lots of lead. And uh, he had one son, and his wife was pregnant with their second child. And the doctors, I think through an ultrasound, discovered that the the son had a deformed foot. It was was kind of... um, you know, off to the side, or something was wrong with his foot. And they had had a man come and and test what was going on in their house in terms of the lead, and he had given it a pass. And the doctors were suspicious, and so they had another person test it, and there was lead everywhere in this house. And so the the conclusion was that the lead paint had led to this uh, deformity in his his infant, uh, sorry, not infant, um, baby in the womb, son. Forget the word for that. Um... And so some of the people that were seeing this told them, hey, this, they talked to some lawyers, and they said, this is the lawsuit of a lifetime. I mean, you can sue for millions, and there is probably very small chance that you will not win this case. The only thing was, though, that there was a person on the other side of that. So as they thought through this and prayed through it, they decided not to bring this lawsuit against this man that had 
that had not done his due diligence with this lead test. And doing that would have destroyed, you know, his, his career and obviously, you know, sunk him. They met with this man and they said, we forgive you. That is crazy. Isn't that insane? That is insane. This is your son we're talking about who now has a deformed foot. And you could just, you know, bank a few millions in addition to that. You know why they did that? Because they knew that they were forgiven once too. Someone named Jesus. Now, I have to tell the end of that story because when he was born, they were ready to do the operation to correct his foot. And they didn't need to. That's the kind of love that Jesus is talking about. Someone that is an enemy. Someone that has wronged you to forgive, to love. It's courageous. It's in some ways insane. It goes against a lot of what is happening in our world. This is the kind of love that would fix most of the problems of our world. It might not end the tsunamis. It might not, you know, fix the hurricanes that come. It might not stop all the earthquakes. Although I think there's a connection there. But it would do quite a bit, wouldn't it? If everyone just like loved and cared for each other, if, if they decided to forgive their enemies instead of holding hatred and vengeance against them. We were filled with patience and kindness. I mean, even in our own homes, forgiving our spouses and our kids when they make us angry. We've seen in our country the revolutionary power of this principle in one and many, right, Martin, Martin Luther King Jr. They decided they would not fight back. Where did he get that idea? It was from Jesus. Him reading the Gospels. Right? That kind of love is able to transform society and the world. And this is the call of the Bible. If you want to know what the Bible is about, it's about God loves this messed up world that we have a responsibility to. And he wants to make it all right. The entire Bible is the story of not some angry God that's just trying to punish people. It's how can I deal with the people that are continually messing this world up and still make it right? Because the problem with the world is right here. I'm not standing on this stage as a pastor because I've somehow been perfected. The sin is still in this heart. The evil is still in here. The line, as Alexander Solzhenitsyn says, dividing good and evil runs right through my heart. The heart of every person. That's a pretty difficult problem to solve. But that's the story of the Bible. God is trying to figure out how can I fix this without just annihilating everyone because the problem is inside of them. God loves us. And the Bible is so bold as to say that God is love. And the call of the Bible, the call to all followers of Jesus is not to just leave this world and go to heaven. It's to make this world right. It's to get rid of the injustice. It's to get rid of the evil and to do it through love. So, most people, many people would agree, yeah, that's the answer. Love is the answer. 
So great. What's the problem? I mean, seems pretty simple. Just, you know, forgive people that wrong you and, you know, just be kind to everyone and we'd be all set. Well, as I've already alluded to, we have failed to love because love is not our nature. I don't have to convince you that the world is messed up, but as I've already said, we are also messed up. We, in some ways, are an absolute mess. We naturally think about ourselves. I mean, just track your thought pattern for the last few moments, if not minutes, if not hours, as if days. We think about ourselves. We think about what we are going to eat. We think about, you know, what we are going to do today. What is going to please us? What we is going to make us happy. Now, I have two boys, and raising children helps you to realize how selfish you are. I got that from my sister. She has seven. She's here today. You can greet her and bless her. Um, It shows us that there's other people screaming for our attention and wanting us to do things that we would rather just have time to ourselves sometimes or a little break. But we are naturally selfish. We think about ourselves. Um, I've been trying to teach, we've been, Jade and I have been trying to teach our son Sam not to hit his little brother. It was just natural for him to run up and just smack him in the head. We didn't teach him how to do that. That was what he wanted to do. That was his impulse. He's running for it and just whack. And we've had some progress in that. Now we're working on don't hit mom and dad when we're trying to get you to do something that you don't want to do. That's the next battle, right? But as you see in little kids, there is, a, there is something in us that is, it's all about me. And not to say that that's everything of us. There's good in there too, right? The line between good and evil runs through our hearts. But we know there's something wrong inside of us. So that's the problem, right? That's why we can all know love is the answer, but it's pretty difficult to put it into practice. So is there any hope? I mean, if that's the answer, but none of us can do it, oh my gosh, what are we going to do about it? Well, it's too big of a problem for us to actually solve. It's a God-sized problem. So God actually did something about it. Because love, as this passage says, is from God. Isn't that interesting? That love is from God. This radical, courageous, forgive your enemies, love them, bless those that curse you kind of love comes from God. It doesn't come from this earth. Love is God's idea because God is love. It comes from outside of our world. Now, if you notice, it's totally contrary to what happens in nature. I mean, I learned in high school biology class, it's survival of the fittest, right? No one had to teach a lion to eat a wildebeest, and no one's telling it not to do that. That's how nature works. There's different living organisms. They're competing for natural resources that are of limited supply on this planet. And some of them need to eat other ones in order to survive. That is the way of nature. Or, you know, another kind of slant on that is Nietzsche's will to power. 
that living things naturally want not just to survive, but sometimes even more to just increase their amount of kind of rain in their domain, right? The you know, just think multiplying of bacteria on a student's desk, you know, uh, you know. It's trying to just expand and control as much as possible. So love doesn't really help too much if that's kind of what life is about. If lions just started loving all the wildebeests, they would all die because they would have nothing to eat because they're carnivores, right? That idea of loving and forgiving your enemies, it doesn't seem to really work in this natural world that we find ourselves in. So it kind of, you know, begs the question, you know, where is love from? The Bible says it's from God. Because God is love. God isn't just loving. He doesn't just sometimes do things that are loving. The, the, the God that the Bible describes is a God who is completely and entirely loving. Everything that he, do, that, that he does is out of love. You might be able to say, you know, Brian is loving. You know, I've seen him kiss his son on the cheek. He's given some affection, you know, to his wife, whatever. But you wouldn't want to say probably Brian is love. Because many of you know me, right? That's not entirely true, right? But that can be said about God. Now, that is a radical statement in itself. Because we live in a broken world. And we look around and we say, if there's a God, how could he possibly be love? Legitimate observation. I mean, it seems impossible that if there's a God who's all-powerful and he's up there and he's loving, how in the world would all of this have come to be? So many times we go the alternative. We say either there is no God or God is really not good. He's not loving. He's mean, in fact, to allow all of the suffering of this world. Now, it's funny because the Bible addresses this question, but never answers it. It actually devotes a whole book to this question, the book of Job. And at the end, Job's asking this question. I don't know if you know the story of Job, but he had this huge family and he was wealthy. And then in like one day, everything was taken away. I mean, all of his like, I think it was like a dozen kids or something killed. All of his wealth gone, you know, like. It's just in one day. You can't imagine the suffering there and the pain of that. At the end of that whole book, God actually shows up and talks to Job and doesn't answer any of his questions. So the Bible doesn't really give us an answer. And we can, we can talk through that. But the Bible never shies away from it. It just says, well, God is the one that's doing something about it. And it calls people to say, well, let's do something about it. It doesn't always give us the why. We don't always know the why behind these different things in our lives that make us suffer or the tragedies in the world. But it does say that God hates that. He wants every person to know his love. And at the end of time, the Bible says God's going to wipe away every tear from every eye. And he's going to make all the bad gone and it will only be good. All the pain and death itself will even be eradicated. That's the story of the Bible. Now, it is totally logically consistent to say that there is no God and to kind of live a life in that way. 
You can't prove that God exists. You can't prove that God doesn't exist. I don't, you know, I think, you know, people going back and forth on that. But I think oftentimes we, if we go to the no God route, we don't really live that out. Because the natural logical progression of that is, well, we're just animals. And so love isn't the really a thing to maybe shoot towards. And if you want to do that, that's fine. But that might just be what you want. What if my name is Adolf and I would like to destroy every other person that I don't like? There's no way to say you can't do that if there's no God. See, if there's no God, there's no such thing as tragedy. What's a tragedy to you may not be a tragedy to somebody else. It's not tragic to ISIS that those bombs went off in France. They're celebrating that. Victory, right? Without someone above saying what's right and wrong, it just boils down to our little choices of what we feel. And we could say, hey, all of collective humanity, here's some argument, has said that murder is wrong basically throughout the ages of history. So there's this abstract idea of what's right and wrong kind of out there that people are tuned into. And if everyone was to do that, life would be better. We don't really need a God to give us morality. I don't know if you've heard that argument before. The, the problem with that is that it sounds a lot like what people say about God. There's just been idea of God all throughout history, and people have always seen there being something out there that's God, and we should all just believe. You see, the, 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 it's, the same, it's the same thing. And there's no way to tell someone that what they're doing is wrong, ultimately, apart from the fact that just lots of people think it is. No one's telling a lion it's wrong to eat a wildebeest. If we're just animals, if there's nothing special out about people, then tragedy's not a thing. It's just not. And so I sense in all of us a deep anger towards what is, is wrong in this world, the brokenness of this world. You can't, I don't see a place to justify that without there being a God. And the Bible says that God is love, and he wants to do away with all of that. And it's a really difficult problem to solve because the evil is inside of people. And so apart from just killing everyone all at once, it takes something else to solve that problem. So, what's the solution? If God's not just stepping onto the stage and saying, all right, that's it. You guys have all messed this up. It's over. You're all done. I'll make a new world. What's the answer going to be? We can love with God's help. We can have this courageous kind of love with God's help. The passage says we love because God first loved us. You see, we can't give what we haven't first received. So I, was, I spent 10 years in the public school teaching math. I had probably about 1,000 students in those 10 years. And I'll have to say, most of the students that I had over those 10 years were actually really well-behaved. They were, they were good kids. They wanted to learn. And, you know, math might not have been their favorite thing, but they were willing to kind of cooperate with me, even though I was talking about X, Y to the Z all the time. 
right? Every once in a while, you got a student that did not want to cooperate. Some of my teacher friends, I can see are smiling, right? They were like, I'm not going there, man. I'm fighting you tooth and nail. Now, why are they doing that? Sometimes you would find out what was going on in their life behind the scenes of your classroom. And then you said, yeah, it's not a surprise. Because they hadn't received a whole lot of love in their life. And see, we, did, we just give what we've received. It's easy to see that when you look at someone and you say, man, look at what they have been dealt. Right? Look at all the pain that's in their life. You know, they've been ignored or just you know, hurt in so many ways by the people that were supposed to care for them. See, that's true for all of us. And the Bible is saying that it's, we can only love in this radical, courageous way if we understand that that's how God has loved us. We can only love our enemy if we understand that we were an enemy that was loved. We, the Bible says, were enemies with God. We turned our back. We said, I'm not doing that, just like my little son Sam. And we're hitting, saying, no, I'm, I'm going to do my own thing in small and sometimes in big ways. But the Bible says that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. See, Jesus, that's the whole point of the big deal about Jesus. The big deal about Jesus is that that is how God, in this passage it says, how God showed his love for us. We were enemies, and God was willing to enter into the mess of this world and to suffer incredibly so that we could know God's love. We can only love our enemies when we know that we have been loved as enemies. A quote from, I'm not sure exactly where it's from. I got it from a guy named N.T. Wright, but he got it from somewhere else. Some old, you know, Christian track. It said the nations of the world got together to pronounce sentence on God for all the evils in the world. Only to realize with a shock that God had already served his sentence. See, he served his sentence by becoming a person and dying a horrible death on a cross. To take all of the evil, all of the punishment that we should have gotten on that cross. And then Jesus rose again from the dead, the Bible says, so that he could give us life and power to love our enemies. That's the message of the Bible. It's that God is love. And he sent Jesus to show us that he loved us and to rescue us from a life filled with meaninglessness and um, the metaphor that Neil used earlier, chains. That's the hope for this world, is more and more people being filled with the love of God and then having the ability to have courageous love for their enemies. That is the only way this world will change. But it's the way that God has promised it will. And one day, the Bible says Jesus will come back and will make all things right. Let's have the band come back up. So the call for us today is just to engage with God. So some of you, it might be just wrestling with the idea that God is love. That is a tough one to swallow. For some of you, it might be, hey, saying, you know, I, I, I 
believe that, but I want to love others more. I want to have that courageous love. And so it's asking God for more of that and more understanding of the radical love that Jesus had to give his life for us. So one of the ways we're going to celebrate that today is by taking communion. And so I'm just going to invite all of you um, to stand as the band, band begins to play. We're going to sing a final song or two. And um, communion is just a picture of what we were just talking about, of the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus says that this in uh, Matthew chapter 26. He says, uh, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. What Jesus has done is been a sacrifice for us so that we could receive the forgiveness of God and have friendship with him and not be enemies. So as the band plays, I'm just going to invite all of you. This is anyone that says, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, you know, Catholic, Protestant, Anglican, whatever. This is for you. And so in receiving this, we are just saying, thank you, Jesus, for your love. So the gluten-free option is on this side. Please dip that in the gluten-free cup, which is the smaller one. So please don't dip in that cup if you're not taking the gluten-free. And you can also come on this side. There's glute, there is gluten on both sides. Okay? So we come down these aisles, and then you can kind of exit out this way. And um, I, will, I will pray over this. We'll take communion, and then we'll continue in, in a song, and then we'll close. And... Um, yeah, please join us after the service in the cafeteria. So, Lord, we just thank you so much. It's hard to believe that you're loved sometimes, but your Bible never shies away from that. And so we just thank you for this picture of the greatest sacrifice ever, you giving your perfect son who was without sin, and you punished him even though he didn't deserve it. And you poured out your wrath on him even though he didn't deserve it so that we could have fellowship with you and the forgiveness of all of our sins. We just thank you for that. We thank you that, Lord, as simple as just asking you for forgiveness and trusting that Jesus took our punishment is enough to now be friends with you and to spend eternity with you. That's all it takes. What an amazing gift. It's nothing that we ever earn. It's all a gift from you, God. So I just pray, let us receive it again, once again, today. In Jesus' name, amen. So just make your way at will, and uh, you can, again, stand uh, and sing as you're ready. If my heart is overwhelmed, and I cannot hear your voice, I'll hold on to what is true, though I cannot see. If the storms of life, they come. And the road ahead gets steep I will lift these hands in faith I will believe I remind myself of all that you've done And the life I have because of your son Love came down and rescued me. Love came down and set me free. And I am yours. I am forever yours. 
mountain high or valley low, I sing out, remind my soul that I'm yours. I am forever yours. When my heart is filled with hope, comes my way when I feel your hands of grace rest upon me staying desperate for you God staying humbled at your feet I will lift these hands and praise I will believe I remind myself of all that you've done and the life I have because of your son. Love came down and rescued me. Love came down and set me free. And I am yours. I am forever yours. Mountain high or valley low, I sing out, remind my soul that I am yours. Yours love came down, His love came down and rescued me. Love came down and set me free, and I am yours. I am forever yours. Mountain high or valley low, I sing out, remind my soul that I am yours. I am forever yours. I'm yours, I'm yours, for all my days, Jesus, I'm yours, oh, I am yours, I am yours, for all my days, Jesus, I am yours, oh, I am yours. I am yours for all my days. Jesus, I'm yours. Yes, I am yours. I am yours for all my days. Jesus, I'm yours. Because love came down and rescued me. Love came down and set me free, and I'm yours. I am forever yours. Mountain high or valley low, I sing out in my my soul that I'm yours. I am forever yours. Love came down and rescued me. Love came down and set me free, and I'm yours. I am forever yours. Mountain high or valley low, I sing out, remind my soul that I am.